if the trust is developed at a young ages, like in Sweet Feet and our rec program, a lot of times the parent won't leave because they know they're getting a really good product in, in, in training. And at the end of the day, who's going to remember what team you played on when you were nine to begin with, or even 15? People remember you for your personality, effort, all the, all the values you bring to, to what you're doing. And, you know, it's... Um, but if you don't build on relationships, like, the, the soccer is the easy part. But you have to have that trusting and, you know, value-driven relationship before you can do any of the other stuff. Like, that's, uh, you know, this past uh, spring leading, leading up to tryouts, I went to each city that we're located in and had, like, an open forum where anybody could ask me questions, any parents that came. Uh, and then I kind of told them about what our program was. But in, and immediately it started developing trust. Uh, that, that, that in our transition from uh, into, like, this Tormenta Youth Academy model, the trust was built in those types of sessions right there. Uh, and then, you know, just consistently seeing their child get better, seeing their child have fun, even at the older ages, seeing kids that are 17 and 19 be recruited to play at high level in college, seeing kids that go on and play in USL with our USL Academy contracts. Uh, and then, you know, just them passing the word on, they get it, maybe have a kid come into the organization and then, then them seeing having fun and getting better at soccer getting better at being a better person that there's an incredible value for the, that that's the relationship piece welcome to episode 16 of the 50 cups of coffee podcast i'm your host bobby oddly i'm a speaker and trainer with the Pinot training group where we work with teams and organizations looking to create powerful, positive peak performance team cultures. This podcast is a show that was inspired by my 2016 TEDx talk called the 50 Cups of Coffee Challenge. Go check that out on YouTube if you haven't already. In the talk, I challenge you to sit down for a conversation with 50 people in a year. That number might sound big until you fully appreciate this is not all about networking. It is about simply connecting with people, which I believe is important now more than ever. This podcast is a show where I sit down with some of the best leaders in sports and business to talk about leadership, culture, and connection. Today, my guest is the brother of my guest, Matt Nine, from last week, and his intro is extensive. This guy is impressive. Dr. Brad Nine is the Director of Academy Soccer Operations for Tormenta Football Club in the United Soccer League. The USL is an American professional soccer league designated by the United States Soccer Federation as Division II, with Division I being Major League Soccer. The USL serves as a player development league for future stars of the MLS and other leagues, and on its own right has a broadcast deal with ESPN as it is great soccer to watch. Brad Nine has worked in the education, soccer, and coaching industry for 21 years. After playing Division III soccer at my alma mater, Salisbury University, Brad taught physical education, has been a head soccer coach at three different high school programs, and an assistant coach at three different college programs in Salisbury, Armstrong State University, and Georgia Southern University. Brad is the founder of the Storm Soccer Academy, as well as the player development company, Sweet Feet. Sweet Feet is a soccer and education program for children that works to create lifetime learners that appreciate physical activity and health. I love their hashtag, laughing is learning. 
Since its founding, Sweet Feet has grown to serve over 750 kids a year. On their website, they say their curriculum is based on fun, learning, and passion development. I first connected with Brad because I was so impressed by the work he was doing with Sweet Feet. It is really an incredible athlete and kid development program. In 2016, Brad completed his doctoral studies at the United States Sports Academy, earning a doctorate of education, an EDD, degree in sports management. His dissertation titled Work Family Conflict Among Youth, High School, and Collegiate Soccer Coaches has assisted numerous professionals within the soccer coaching industry to successfully lead soccer clubs and teams while also having a more fulfilling home life. We talk about his findings and advice during this podcast. To wrap up my intro for Brad, I am going to read right off of the Tormenta FC website. Tormenta FC Academy had tremendous success this past year, increasing the number of soccer players and teams in our programming, creating a recreation program in Savannah, assisting 12 graduating players with collegiate playing aspirations, and focusing upon implementing a youth soccer culture in which all players thrive. Over the course of this next year, Brad and his team of directors and coaches look to flourish in the USL Academy League, lower the price to play soccer through grants from the IBIS Foundation, and provide a daily reminder of how much we care for each and every participant at Tormenta FC Academy. Brad currently holds a United States Soccer Federation B license, the U.S. Youth Soccer National Youth License, and a Premier Diploma, Director of Coaching Diploma, and Goalkeeping Level 3 Diploma from the United Soccer Coaches. Brad has spoken at numerous conferences and written for professional publications on topics related to youth sports development, as well as on and off the field coaching strategies for success. With all of that being said, Brad, like his brother Matt last week, is just a really great person, and I was excited to sit down and have coffee with him for this podcast. Two things about this recording before we get into it. First of all, it was recorded pre-COVID-19, just like Matt's was last week, and so we do not obviously talk about it, and this was done in person, which leads to my second note. Brad is based out of Georgia, and he and I met up at the United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore back in January. The noise you hear in the background is the convention. We set up in an empty room and just hit record. It's not distracting. I just wanted to let you know what all the talking is in the background of the recording. With that being said, please enjoy my cup of coffee with Dr. Brad Nine. So I uh, currently am the director of operations for the academy. Uh, I oversee everything from three to 19 years old in creating uh, an appropriate youth soccer experience for the level of the player, the dedication of the player, and you know just getting it right for the family. Uh, are those your three? That's really. Are those your three criteria that you look at? Maybe you've never thought of it like that specifically. But say that again. So when you're, you're creating a proper soccer experience for the player based on Pro- proper soccer experience for the player based on. Uh, Dedication levels, yeah. uh, based on where they are at the moment. So we're putting them in a in a on a skill based team where they can have success, and that and then that it works for the family. Yeah. Because um, it, it's 
we're still in a at, at the level we're at. We're still in a place where mom and dad are driving the player everywhere. We're carpooling places. Uh, we're we're training four nights a week, so that's a challenge in itself to get to the facility four nights a week. Is that uh, every age group from from thir- to thirteen 19? to nineteen? Thirteen to nineteen is four nights uh, a week. Eight to eight to twelve, it's either two or three days a week. It's uh, uh, what your family can you know chooses to do. Yeah, uh, and then we. You know, the, the, the model we have is the more we can get you on a ball, the better we think you're going to uh, evolve into as a soccer player. Mm-hmm. And kids just don't play on their own at home anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, in, you, know, in, you know, in other countries or previously possibly, you could train two days a week and then Johnny would be training, playing on his own for six hours yeah. at home with, with his buddies. Yeah. It doesn't happen. So on that point, talk about the, let's go back to the beginning of Sweet Feet. Because sure. if I'm correct, that's part of where that came from, that idea that kids aren't playing on their own, they're not naturally getting some of these kind of motor skills. and Right, right. Skills so, so the yeah. little bit of background of Sweet Feet, yeah. I was a PE teacher for nine years. I saw people running. You got Bennett? Right. You, was I, I was at Bennett Middle School okay. for six years, and then I was down in Georgia for three years okay. at, a, at a, a middle school and an elementary school. Yeah. Uh, I went and took, in 2009, I went and took my youth, it was called the USU Soccer Youth License at that point. Yeah. And it just uh, showed, showed me a different way to work with three, four, and five-year-olds, where it's all theme-based learning. You are, for example, that day maybe the 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 soccer balls are dinosaur eggs mm-hmm. and our whole goal is to try to hatch these dinosaur eggs. They taught you eggs. that in the U.S. soccer? Well, well at, at, at the U.S. youth soccer it was you know they did random activities they didn't build it out for a whole 45 minute session. Okay. So at U.S. youth soccer you were trying to storm the castle which is we have all these cones over here you have to dribble by the coach pick up the cone and bring it back to your house storming the castle. Yeah. 15 minutes and then we're off to something that probably, you know, is a soccer activity. Yeah. So for me, I, I felt it more important to grow fun, grow passion at the earliest ages. Uh, and we do this program with Sweet Feet from two and a half to eight. While we're growing fun and growing passion, we're also teaching kids how to work with a coach where they, you know, they come over and they sit down in front of a coach. Uh, surprisingly, it's really hard to pull kids in when you're outside they think a lot of them think it's recess. Yeah. And by week four and week five, they're finally sitting down. They're quiet. They're looking at you, waiting for direction. So how do you do that? What's your What's your strategy for pulling them in and getting them to? I think you know, listen to work with a coach. At uh, we we build a house. So we build a house out of cones. Yeah. And they, everyone has to come and sit down in the house with their ball. Okay. Uh, crisscross, and you know, we'll, we'll make jokes. Uh, usually, usually their teachers will say crisscross applesauce, and that's how they have to sit. Mm-hmm. Maybe you've heard of that before. I've heard of that. Stuff yeah, you do. yeah. So we'll say crisscross spaghetti sauce. Every kid starts laughing. They find that hilarious. They find it the funniest thing ever. That coach is like saying something different than what their teacher or their parent says, and they actually go and do it. Yeah. Uh, by week five or six, it's automatic that they come in. Um, so with this, you know, the soccer ball might be your dinosaur egg. We have hunt. Depending on how many kids there are, we'll put uh, 50 different cones out of different sizes. At each cone, you have to do a different activity. So you might be rolling the ball with your foot at one, and that cone feeds the dinosaur. Mm-hmm. 
then you have to kick your ball into a tall cone, and that cone breaks open the dinosaur egg a little bit. You have to dribble around the dinosaur, uh, a larger cone, so that you can protect the dinosaur. Mm -hmm. Then you eventually have to go kick it in the goal, get it past the coach who is guarding the goals, but this is like the hatchery. And that's where the dinosaur egg actually is going to hatch. All of that takes about 43 minutes. So by the last two minutes, we're holding a soccer ball, pretending it's a dinosaur egg, and petting our dinosaur using our imagination and giving our dinosaur egg a name and blowing it a kiss <laughs> to end the session. And, and, the, and the kids are, they don't even know that they played soccer. Yeah. But by week five or week six, they're always dribbling a ball. I've never told them anything about technique, and they're changing direction, changing speed, uh, doing things to you know, get to that cone a little bit faster, or you have to stop the ball to change direction to get to another cone, get away from coach who's you, you know, uh, trying to get your dinosaur, get, trying to get your egg. Yeah. And we have about 40 of these sessions built where it's things kids like to do, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's build a castle or whether it's uh, make cookies or we're, we're trying to get better at adding, like, things in that are, like, nutritious value. Okay. But that doesn't seem to, like, so entice the kids cookies. as much as, yeah. like, I'm going to make a cookie or I'm going to go eat broccoli. Yeah. So we're, we're trying to, like, always adapt and, and build onto new things where, you know, we've added in core values. So once a week there's a different core value. Uh, and that just might be, you know, empathy one week or uh, effort, you know, and we teach effort by the, the kids simply, if they fall over, they got to get back up. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask that. So when you're working yeah. with, you know, three to, or was it two and a half to eight? Like two old, and a half to eight. Like when you introduce empathy, you know, as a core value, how do you introduce it? And then how do you make sure it's taught throughout that week? So uh, to my staff, I have a, an amazing Sweet Feet director right now named Courtney Colley who oversees all of the Sweet Feet activities. She's worked with me since she was a player in college for eight years now. And she'll send out an email with how, how, how to teach the core value for that week. Uh, and empathy, it's just a lot of... It, it's, we never use the word empathy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when you're working with like a four-year-old. We, we get to their level and somebody might fall over and, or somebody might try to steal somebody else's ball. Perfect opportunity for us all to bring everybody in and talk about how you made that person feel mm -hmm. and why we shouldn't do something like that. Yeah. Um, do they process, and they, they process it? They start to When we get on their level, they do. Yeah. Because they, they can, you know, we try to show the soccer ball as a toy and all you really want to want to do is go home and play with your toy outside and, yeah. and here's your toy you know and you can go play with it and they understand in a classroom when you know one kid steals another kid's toy and how that makes them feel so it's kind of talking about that and then it also goes into um you know giving a high five to the coach at the end you know just sharing just sharing after you do your session simply sharing and say how it made you feel throughout the session mm -hmm. when coach was working with you in this manner. Uh, and and is that how you get, when you say get on their level, you know, I'm, I, I think when I work with college teams, 
when I talk about culture and we're sure. talking core values and all that kind of stuff, sure. my core, and it's the core of this podcast, is the idea of connection. Right. When we're connected, when you feel heard, when you feel listened to, when you feel you can speak up sure. and share your 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 experience with whatever the core value is or sure. the team, that's that creates the real culture. So it's not just... You know, I, I always say there's a lot of core values that are on the walls right. that aren't lived by the team. Right. So it 100% is at the college and high school level getting on their level and connecting. Sure. How are you, and maybe you already answered it with that, but kind of redefine it. How are you connecting with a two-and-a-half to eight-year-old to so, ensure so, that So, you know, it's... Uh when they all come together, it's me sitting down with them, getting on their, getting literally, literally physically, their physically yeah. down to their eye level. Yeah. Because they'll sit down, they'll hold their ball, crisscross, spaghetti applesauce, sauce. spaghetti <laughs> sauce, you know, uh, apple pie. Yeah. It's just, we'll get there. And then it's us. And it's amazing because they see me or my, my sweet feet coach 45 minutes a week. Mm-hmm. So it's a special thing. So they'll do things for us because it's such a special opportunity then they will for the person they see every single day sure um and will you know it's uh, raise your hand and tell us the most fun thing you did at sweet feet today and when you're four and five you want to please you raise they raise their hands and we go through and they talk about what the most fun thing they did at sweet feet was and it's it's not great the first week but by week 10 they figure out like what what they're looking for and what the changes are mm-hmm. in the session and what's really fun. In one in week one, every kid will say soccer. By week ten, they're differentiating themselves and they really like dribbling or they like kicking the ball at the coach because the coach faked an injury and thought that was they thought that was funny. Yeah, um, it's just all these little things, you know, or they like dribbling or they just liked being able to answer a question. It, it's the craziest. Like most of my sessions were created off of things that the coaches that the kids thought were funny mm-hmm. you know and I have a um a nine-year-old an 11-year-old and a three-year-old and I bring they help me create all the sessions your that, that are your actual that are actual my actual yeah. kids like yeah. it's like off of these things these questions we ask you, you know you learn from what the kids like mm-hmm. and what they don't like and you mm-hmm. throw it in and if the kid's not having fun not smiling not laughing not you know, doesn't go home and want to play more, then it's how, how do we fix this so that they yeah. can do that? <laughs> do you have, when you're working with, with Sweet Feet, um, you know, so I interviewed a, uh, a guy that runs a really cool and successful karate dojo in Michigan, and they're big on everything you're talking about. Sure. You know, fun, play, uh, they teach a lot of core values and all that kind of stuff. And so right. because of that, they do a a very intentional onboarding process in terms of bringing folks in to let them know the way we do things is a little bit different than maybe you're expecting out of a traditional karate dojo. So for Sweet Feet, yes, you're working with younger kids, but at the same aspect, I'm sure there's parents out there that would look at this and say, this isn't soccer. What are you doing with my kid? Right, right. And so how intentional are you about the almost sales process of getting a, a kid into Sweet Feet? So each, you know, when the season starts, they get an email, an email kind of what we're all about. Now with Sweet Feet, the parents never see what the kid's doing or what we're doing because it's during, like, the school day. It's during the school day, right? Yeah, you go into the school. We go into the school. So, yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, 80% of our sessions are from, like, 3 o'clock to 4 o'clock. 
and the parents love it because they trust the school so much. They get an extra hour to be an adult, whether it's like working. So it's like an after-school program then. So school's over at three. So, so school and, ends at three, and we'll come in at three fifteen okay. and work till four for a yeah. lot of our classes. Some yeah. of the schools we work with, they'll allow us to come in at ten a.m. to ten forty-five, and every kid will come out. Okay. Some of our other schools, the families pay to participate. Okay. Um, so as the after-school, it's it's an extra hour. The parent feels the value because now they don't have to take Johnny to soccer practice at six o'clock. Get him done at seven. Get back to the house at seven thirty. Stuff some food down him. Do his homework and then get him to bed. Like mm-hmm. we've been able to partner with these schools, and and that's part of the allure of Sweet Feet for the parents is, you know, we're right there at the school. We're bringing everything towards you, and you don't have to do anything extra. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that helps out tremendously. Uh, what they do see is our pictures and our videos that we put on social media, and we'll put usually 20 to 30 pictures of every session and try to get a picture or a video of every kid mm-hmm. like in action so mm-hmm. the parent can see that. And then at the end of each, uh, which we need, need to get a little bit better at doing it weekly, but usually bi-weekly or every third week, they'll get an email with pictures and with videos of and us explaining why we're doing what we do. Yeah. So it's just a continual process. And then there's a lot of kids that, a lot of, not a lot, there's some parents that are like, I think my kid's ready to move on. So that's where the connection with Tormenta became vital. So at age five or six, and, and, and all Sweet Feet is is a, uh, a place to enter into your soccer experience or youth sports experience. And then, you know, we have recreation soccer through Tormenta where here's another spot you can enter into your youth soccer experience. You know, we, we, we think that if, if you come in at a younger age, we can mold you a little bit better into those, you know, skills where you're coming and sitting and listening to coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, you're just on a ball more. Yeah. Uh, and you fall in love with the game is the hope. Uh, what is, do you track your kind of retention of players that continue playing soccer after eight, or any organized sport after sure. eight years old when they move on from and now especially with Tormenta maybe you can well, I can now so yeah, yeah I've been in this role for about a year now and yeah. we're a- actively identifying players that we think are ready to to move on to the next piece yeah. of what we have going on um, and it's not something it's different for every every child mm-hmm. so we're not pushing them sure. to go do it but we're having conversations with parents that are you know you can tell the kid when we're doing a sweet feet session that's already done it for two times you know for two seasons and is dribbling circles around everybody and it's just it's not as fun for that person mm-hmm. so they're ready for more of a traditional soccer experience probably yeah. where mom and dad are taking them to the training session they're coming to a game on Saturday. They're getting with a licensed coach mm-hmm. that can, is, is, you know, and working in our session design that is uh, specifically made for that person. So that yeah. could be a five-year-old. It could be a seven-year-old. It could be an eight-year-old. It's the sweet spot for Sweet Feet is between three and six. Okay. Uh, at seven and eight, we kind of change the lessons a little bit. So, so it's, there's a little more cooperative and competitive activities in yeah. it where it's not just one kid one ball the entire session so this is what I, what I love about talking to you and your career is the focus on youth athletes even 
sweet spot is age three to six. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and even what you're doing now, which is really cool with Tormenta, you, you'll be able to see that athlete through age 19. And we're at the U.S. Soccer Convention right now in Baltimore. And one thing that I think soccer overseas at least i don't know as much here but from what i've learned overseas they do really well is the best coaches are at the youth level mm -hmm. and you know i know when i first got into coaching i was a junior college coach at hartford community college for lacrosse and thought i wanted to be a college lacrosse coach at some capacity and what i found is i didn't really care for recruiting i didn't really care for the x's and o's of the sport and and i wasn't that invested in the wins or losses i just wasn't the same as a player i was, I was sure. extremely invested in the wins and losses as a coach i kind of felt disconnected sure. from it but i still loved the game and the development of it and the culture aspect which is how i got into what i'm doing now and it was only a, a year ago that I found a middle school team that needed a coach in D.C. Nice. Started coaching with them and found I love it. And it, it hit me. I never even thought, I've for years been saying I'd like to get back involved in coaching lacrosse and never considered youth. And now I'm coaching with a club team that's, oh, that's fifth great. and sixth graders yeah. and, and love that. And so how did you, you know, I, I mentioned you. So if, if you're listening and you think Brad sounds familiar, if you see the picture and video, you think he looks familiar. Uh, I interviewed his brother <laughs> uh, on this podcast as well. And uh, um, I told you we got into Matt's bio a little bit because I think you and Matt both are, are individuals who've had a lot of success in sports, great resumes, brilliant minds when it comes to athlete development. And you've, you've focused your attention in areas where like I said, people often say to me, why is Matt still at Salisbury? Nothing against sure. Salisbury, but yeah. he has the caliber and capability to be at a pro league somewhere. Sure. And and I, you're a guy where I first met you, and my first question was, why, this is before I fell in love with youth sports, right, but I right. was thinking, what's he working with three-year-olds Sure, sure. And so <laughs> how did you get to working with, with the three and six age group? Why has that become your, your focus? Right, I mean, so I... Uh coached high school girls soccer in Maryland when I graduated from college at Salisbury went back and coached uh, the women at Salisbury I was an assistant for three years uh, ended up moving to Georgia after that and kind of working some in the club and you know have a U.S. soccer B license have a premier diploma from United Soccer Coaches uh, various other diplomas and it was always my dream to work in colleges and see what doors that would open uh, in the mid 2000s there really wasn't an MLS dream or a USL dream for me I just didn't know uh, I always thought there would probably be a step towards a college and getting a head job and you know in the process of sending out hundreds of resumes that, that we all do and uh, you know learning it's probably who you know is really important on top of that really good resume uh, we started a club in Savannah called Savannah Soccer Academy 2010 uh, and with that came Sweet Feet. Um, and, you know, Sweet Feet started when a mom called me. I was coaching a U8 team at our club. A mom called me and had a four-year-old at a preschool and said, hey, Brad, would you, would you, you want to come out and do some soccer with, 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 with this group? And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, I'm already working with, like, these eight, nine-year-olds, and I was also coaching, like, 14- and 15-year-olds. And I'm like, where is that going to get me? Yeah. So... And I'd, I'd, I had never worked with that age group before. You know, maybe at a couple camps here and there, but it was never like, I never thought it'd be my passion. And I mm -hmm. went out and did it, and it was so much fun. And they were, 
so energized and so just they look at you a different way than like a 15 or 16 year old looks at you mm -hmm. um, whereas the 15 and 16 year old looks like what are you going to do for me <laughs> the, the younger guys are like it's just a party let's just go have fun like these three and four year olds and had a fantastic experience and um, on top of not only working with these kids and having you know being able to create the passion for them and just seeing their smiles on their faces when you came out there was an opportunity to to grow it in savannah there wasn't anything any other anything else there like that that was working with the schools and try to you know get our uh get out in front of some of the franchises and really create our own piece right there in in savannah and hilton head and statesboro and mm -hmm. uh it really took off, and it was a, a word-of-mouth thing. It, you know, at first it was me. I, pr I think I taught every class. There was about 12 classes a week between Hilton Head and Savannah and Statesboro. Yeah. And at, at some point I let somebody else teach a class, and I was like, you do a really good job. It's a little bit different from what I do, but look at this value the kids are getting out of it, and your personality is amazing. And, now I teach like one class a week, one or two classes a week of Sweet Feet, and one of them's my son, my three-year-old, because I just I want to be around him and I see him, and mm -hmm. and then we'll go play. He doesn't even call it soccer. We go play Sweet Feet in the yard. That's what he calls it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's like. So you've got other coaches now that are coaching the other classes, right? So yeah. Courtney oversees the whole process. And yeah. We with with that onboarding process. That was a question you had earlier. They'll come and watch. We have younger coaches from the local colleges or that it's really good for up-and-coming coaches. They'll coach at the club. We usually can't pay them to make it a full-time job. Mm -hmm. So instead of, you know, bartending or picking up a second job, doing something that you don't really love, you can come make extra money at Sweet Feet. Mm -hmm. And that can almost put it together where it's a, a full-time gig for, you know, somebody that's 25 and trying to, you know, get into the soccer world. Right. Um, so it's... How do you find the right... Because especially with the younger kids, personality matters, them understanding kids matters, being able to work with it, kids It's matters. hard, you know. It's yeah. like we'll hire anybody to come in, but then we'll also tell you if this isn't the right place for you. Uh, we'll, we'll never put a brand-new coach out by themselves on a, on, a, on a setting. We always put two coaches out at every class, no matter the numbers. Mm -hmm. Now, if we get to 30 kids or 40 kids in a session, we'll add more more coaches in. But we'll that it's almost like a you see what you know. Coach Courtney is running a session. You need to watch her for six months, and then we'll put you on on your own session and see how you do. Mm -hmm. So there's a gradual, you know, for two months you watch Courtney, then the next month you're teaching a part of the session, and then you know you gradually teach a little bit more, and then you, you're taking it over, and she's observing you and telling you the things you do good and the things you need to work on. Mm -hmm. um, so, so there's a coach education piece. And how uh, did you, so you mentioned, you know, when you first started, it was just you, you were teaching 12 classes a week. Were you in the schools at that point? So I was in, it, it was a huge word of mouth piece. Okay. Uh, so the mom. What was your first, so like, what was your first, you just did a, so you had this one parent that's like, you work with my four-year-old and did you just do a class like. So, so I did it at a local she, she invited me to the preschool. Okay. And so we, the, preschool. the preschool had no property, so we did this in a parking lot. Get out. So it was like Wayne's World. Yeah. You know, when <laughs> when the car's coming through, it's like, you know, 
soccer off and, and we're all I'm trying to herd four-year-olds and get them off the parking lot as the car's coming through wow. so we, we had our session there and we had about 15 kids and didn't really have them had no website had no model set up to um, what the sessions are going to look like I'd go out and kind of you know talk to the kids and see what they were into and then try to contour a session around what their favorite piece was mm-hmm. you know and I I still have pictures from that group and one of those kids were born in 2005 and we have a at Tormenta now there's a couple kids from that first group that are that play on our 2005s now wow um and they're you you 15 at this point okay <laughs> so it's it's really neat to see yeah that happen um it's really amazing <laughs> yeah so then so you get in with that preschool how did you make connections with other schools to started to emailing and calling everybody when mm-hmm. i found how much fun this was mm-hmm. and then started up it, it was so I would coach from five o'clock to eight thirty at night when I finished the ad- admin part of youth soccer that I would do during the day you know setting up games setting up schedules making sure parents are all on the same page because were you still running the was it the storm academy storm called? soccer academy storm soccer you were still running that at the time yeah I was right like a CEO term okay and then uh the guy I started with Jeremy Avon he was kind of he was the soccer guy and I was the admin guy and Mm -hmm. we just did it together Mm -hmm. um so I would have time during the day to go run sweet feet sessions yeah and I I, I found out that people wanted it and parents wanted like this uh easier after school life Mm -hmm. where they weren't just a taxi service right but they were able to get it done right at the school so I started emailing and calling schools to see how we could get in with them and when it would fit in their schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at that point, that was 2010, there wasn't a whole lot of that going on. Now, some of these schools I go to, you know, there's a lacrosse guy that comes, a golf guy that comes, a chef that comes, a is dance that, that comes, that a Lego guy so that, that comes. Th- is, that, is that commonplace in, in the South, in Georgia, in, in where you are? Because I don't know. Is that commonplace here? I mean, yeah, I don't uh, know kids. Maybe I'm just not. No, aware no. Na- of it. Now it is. Like yeah, it is. so, what parents don't do now, which they probably did with our generation, or at least I know, for a little bit of of my youth, where you have uh, a key around your neck, mm-hmm. and you get off the school bus and you go in your house, like that doesn't happen anymore. That's you had a key around your neck when you were growing up. You, that, you yeah. know, like a latchkey kid. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, yeah. Mom had to go to mom. My mom would work. My dad worked. Got home at three o'clock. Nobody else was home, so right. I had a key somewhere on me that yeah. kind of let you in the door. Yeah. Um, and I had a lot of friends that did the same thing. Yeah. But now it's that, that's not that. Our key was under them. Actually, no, it wasn't. Our key was if you go into our gar- our garage was not uh, electric. Like it was. Sure. It was just a pull up. Yeah, garage. yeah, yeah. And if you walked in, there's a cabinet, and up on the left, the key was right there. Right. So, quite frankly. Anybody could get in house <laughs> <laughs> if they looked hard enough. So what? what Not these, the case anymore. What these but, schools offer now is extended day. Yeah. So school ends at three. You can stay up until five thirty, when mom and dad have to pick you up, mm-hmm. and they'll get homework done during that time. And then they also have these offerings, where maybe on Tuesday it's Lego camp, Wednesday Sweet Feet, Thursday is we. we I'm affiliated with a Scoops Lacrosse program down mm-hmm. in Savannah. They'll come in on Thursdays, and Mondays might be a yoga class. Mm-hmm. So it's all these extra opportunities that the parent that's picking up the child at 5, five o'clock, the kid wouldn't have. Yeah. So it's l- letting the parent lose a little bit of that, you know, mom or dad guilt 
where I pick them up at 5.30 and maybe I ain't, I'm not able to provide this meaningful after-school experience, but I can because my school's partnered with all these different yeah. opportunities. What, and I want to go back to, so you mentioned the emailing and phone calling to get into the schools. How, at the time you said nothing like this had been done before, how easy was that? Was it easy? Was it hard? Was it, uh, did you get a lot of they didn't under, They didn't understand what I was trying to do. Yeah. So they're like, you know, why... Why do you want to, what is this all about? Why are you doing this? And were you charging parents or were you charging the school? So, so at that point, we were charging parents. Okay. At that point, it was $45 a month to participate. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I think on the youth sports, professionalization of youth sports conversation, right, right, that's there a you pretty go. reasonable <laughs> price point. Sure, you know? so it was $45 a month. Yeah. They would get four 45-minute sessions. It's still reasonable now. We do $150 for 10 sessions yeah. a season, and they get a shirt that says, you know, has a Sweet Feet logo on it, Tormenta logo on it, just trying to cross-brand the programs mm-hmm. just to show people kind of what's next. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that professionalization piece you, yeah. you talked about there. and yeah. So it was just continuously calling and emailing and, you know, just trying to set up meetings and get in front of people to show the value of what we can bring to the mm-hmm. to your school. Mm-hmm. Uh and they're providing a value, a service for the parents that the parents really like. So it was a win-win for, for yeah. everybody. Some of the schools, they, you know, they also get uh, a portion, like a facility fee, where it's, you know, 15 or 20% back. To, so it's helping them out as well. Yeah. You know? um, uh, and uh, you mentioned the Educated Coaches blog. Talk about that. How long has that been a thing? And uh, what do you guys teach on there? So, so Matt and I, Matt, my brother that you interviewed earlier, that's the strength coach at Salisbury. Him and I in 2013 came together to, you know, I had been in the youth sports game as a full-time youth sport coach for four years up to that point and just saw so many things that were, like, atrocious at tournaments and games and in practice sessions and with parents. And, and to be honest, it wasn't their fault. They just didn't know any better. What are some of the things you saw that that stood out to you? Oh, gosh. You know, parents in the middle of games at halftime of a soccer game walking over and stepping in front of the coach to yell at their child. Mm -hmm. Uh, The ride home from the game and the ride to the game where parents are basically trying to tell the kid what they did wrong in that ride just ended kids careers at 12 Mm -hmm. (laughs) they just didn't like it anymore because of that Uh, coaches that are doing laps lines and lectures Mm -hmm. at their sessions and kids just aren't having fun Um, you know tournaments that are set up where there's three games in a day Mm -hmm. that are like 60 to 70 minute games for a nine-year-old and kids just not being able to function by that final game and it just it doesn't even look like soccer anymore Mm -hmm. it's kids are just you're getting in bad habits uh, by doing those types of things so Um, you looked at the blog so you started with the blog posting your ideas on how to do it right 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 and what the goals are and how how try to how how to what what you should be getting out of your youth soccer experience because what i found was a lot of parents they have the same expectation of what was done to them in 1984 and it probably should have been done a little bit different and they just don't know any better because they haven't studied the yeah you know the landscape well it's hard i think so i've talked so tj buchanan um who was the 
technical director for athlete development U.S. Lacrosse is now the sport development director at World Lacrosse. He's, on, he's right. another guest. Great guy. I love, oh, love TJ. Fantastic. And he's been a, my connection to a lot of folks in, that have been on this podcast, quite frankly. Sure. And um, I, so he was um, one of the first people that really kind of started. Oh, so he, this is what it was. He started sharing with me the long-term athlete development ideas, which is a lot of LTA. And they're ahead of the game. In, yeah. And, and then well, them, in, them in U.S. hockey. Yeah. Just and I had never been point. exposed to that. And so this was last year. I was exposed to it when I first started coaching the middle school team. Sure. And so I said, I'm going to use LADM, is what they call it, the lacrosse athlete right. model for all of my coaching. Right. And the, they have an app that you can go to and download you know, practice plans and all that kind of stuff. Sure. And I'm literally driving. So I had all this stuff ready to go, but was, and, but didn't plan out. Like when I got to practice, I realized I hadn't planned how I was going to start practice. Sure. And my first thought was, I'll just do some line drills. That's how I had always done. <laughs> right, right, right. And I had the realization of, I, and I had not read the no lapse lecture line drills thing or whatever. Sure, yet. sure. But my first thought was, I don't, can I do that? Should sure. I not do that? And so I didn't do I was like on my phone Googling. Trying to really figure quick out like, how to start yeah, practice. Yeah, yeah. And what dawned on me was the, what I, the, for me, the barrier to doing it the right way was what you just said. There's a couple things. Number one, I'm going to have to look up everything. Right. Because I can't just do it the way that I had done it. I can't just assume that was right, even sure. if it was. I sure. can't just assume that. And number two, I'm going to have to acknowledge that the way I was taught was wrong. Sure. If I'm going to do it a different way, sure. which is also acknowledging that people that I respect and, and think about daily and sure. have taught me most of my, what I know about life outside my parents, right. my coaches, acknowledging that they did it wrong. Right. And, and I have been able to do that without judging those coaches because it's saying, hey, we have new information now. But I encounter a lot of people that don't do that. You know, they kind of look at it and they'll say to them, LTAD is small sided games. That's right. their way of implementing LTAD is we do small-sided games. We have free play. Sure. But other than that, we're still doing line drills. We're still playing wall ball and lacrosse. Sure, sure. Uh, and so it's it's almost a limited view of what it is. Right. And so that's why the more we have stuff like what you're doing with Educated Coaches Blog is important well, to provide people. Not just – there's so much out there that's a sales pitch for this stuff. Right, but right. are you giving people the tools and resources to do it? So what is what are some of the, uh, the things that – like you guys started this in 2013. Right. Um, what are some of the, the best practices that you've kind of shared? On the uh, oh, I mean, it's, and, and then, the, well, the funny thing is it's like common sense to me because I've mm -hmm. been doing it uh, or attempting to do it most of my life with some adjustments as we go. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's, you know, getting educated with uh, like going to courses, mm -hmm. going to places like this, con this convention, the mm -hmm. soccer convention, and getting to as many sessions as you can as a young coach. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and then having well, here you got uh, Anson Dorrance, one of the greatest soccer coaches right. of all time, and one of his sessions is the importance of futsal. I thought that yeah, was amazing, really, really isn't cool it? Cool <laughs> that he's focused on that. Which, if you don't know, futsal is. Well, t talk about. Do you? Are you? I guess have you? Uh, I'm a huge believer in futsal. Okay. I, I almost believe kids. It's more fun. Number one. Yeah. It's five kids on a field and a goalkeeper, and you are. And one and a ball, and you're just you're on the ball more. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a very fast pass. It's a smaller fast field, game. Right? You play on a basketball court. Okay. Uh, the ball doesn't bounce, so the ball always stays on the ground. Because it's a heavier ball. It's a heavier right? ball. It stays on the ground, and you learn how to play, where to stand, um, how to 
what the, the beautiful game should look like in modern, modern soccer is it's, it's a passing game. It's not a long ball hit in to somebody go up and try to head it and win it. It's how can we keep the ball and move the defense around to the way we want them to so that we can eventually penetrate and score. Mm-hmm. Like it's, uh, and, and futsal teaches that. Uh, it's the number one way. And, you know, in Brazil, a lot of times, kids are never even on a grass field until 12 or 13 because they play futsal the entire time growing up. And, you know, it's, it's the best game outside that, that kids should be playing outside of training. Mm-hmm. I didn't uh, know until yesterday that there's professional futsal leagues. Yeah, it's, you know, they're kind of here and there throughout the United States. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, we're, we're, we do that. We, we, in Savannah, we try to do that twice a season with all our, all our kids playing futsal. Mm-hmm. And we haven't been able to figure out how to get it in, in more at this point. Because when they come to the do you actually go? Complex, you go to a basketball court? Yeah, we'll, we'll rent, out, rent out gyms okay. and play that. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's one of the kids' favorite days because we aren't training. We just come and play the whole time. Mm-hmm. Kids love that. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's really good for uh, their development. I mean, it's, we're, not, we're, we're more like referees yeah. on those days. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Uh, um, so not, to, not to, to completely – well, we are I – should, I shouldn't say that. Not to completely diverge, but I'm going to go on a different topic. Great. We've been focused on kind of the youth sport development and your journey and your career and what you're doing. Um, I, another thing I found out in – the cool thing about doing this podcast, there's a lot of people that I've known for a long time that you never Google. How often do you Google a friend? Sure. And so <laughs> now I Google you uh, because uh, I'm having you on the podcast. Right. And I learned – I didn't even know you had your, your doctorate. Um, it's a doctorate in education. Is that right? Is it doctor in education? Doctor yep. in education, and your dissertation uh, was on the work-family conflict among youth, high school, co- and college soccer coaches, and that is definitely, as I said to you before we hit record, um, I work, I work with a lot, mainly college coaches, and so I see firsthand the the amount of time that goes into being a college coach, from recruiting to game film to meeting with players. I had Joe Segula, the UNC women's volleyball coach on here. The entire hour of our conversation was focused on how he connects with his players. That was it. We didn't talk about culture. We didn't talk about strategy. We talked about how he connects with each player. He's got 15 players. And while the, the strategies he shared are fantastic, it's also that's a lot of time for him even if he's home and he's connecting with them via text or phone that's pulling you away from your family life and then on top of it i have friends who are high school coaches and here have met a number of different high school coaches that want to engage in the work that i'm doing and i'm finding they are almost just as busy if not more because they've got a, a day job Usually it's teaching, but it could be otherwise. Right. And then they're coaching in evenings, coaching on weekends, and maybe the, the family side of things. If you're a college coach, maybe you expect that. The sure. family can expect that. But if you're a, a high school coach, maybe there's some sense of, why is this taking so much time? And then the last thing I'll say, I you know, even expect it. I interviewed um, uh, a guy who was a great college coach, uh, and now he's working for the Orioles as a baseball coach. Sure. And I asked him, I go, he coached Juco for a long time. And I said, right. did your wife know what she was getting into with a Juco coach? Because I didn't know how much Juco was going to ask of me when I coached. That's how right. we met. Right. And he laughed and he said, no, <laughs> not a chance. You know? <laughs> and so, so talk about your dissertation. How did you end up writing that? What did you learn from it in terms of the work 
family conflict that coaches have? Yeah, so uh, around 2010, I started on this journey with the United States Sports Academy. And I, I could do it because, and it was always one of my goals. Was, that's who you got your doctorate through? That's where I got my doctorate through. What is that, United States Sports Academy? Is They're that? based in Daphne, Alabama, okay. but it's all done online. I, I was never in a classroom. Uh, everything was, I got really good at writing like 40-page papers yeah. on topics for each class. <laughs> um, and and that, that's how you learned. And, it, you know, it's, a, it's a, degree, a doctorate in sport management, and it was... Do you have a master's as well then? I guess you have a I have master's a master's from Salisbury. In education? Uh, post-secondary education. Post-secondary education. What was your undergrad in? Physical education. Physical education, post-secondary, and now you're a doctorate from the United States Sports Academy in, what's, I guess, what is the official uh, title of what? Uh, uh, education, doc- doctorate of education. Okay, doctorate of education. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so it's, a, it's an EDD. Okay. Um, but So everything was done online. Uh, for, for these classes, even my dissertation defense was done with me on one side of the computer and my three professors on the other really? side. Really? I've never heard of that. Computer. I know a number of people that have gotten online degrees, but sure. doctorates, but then they still have to defend in person. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. It was, uh, and it, um, you know, they made it, it, it. The most I've ever learned in college was during that time. I don't know if it was because I cared more about it or if I was in my late 30s as opposed to your early 20s when other things matter a little bit more sometimes, mm-hmm. but it's uh, just going through the process of 12 classes. I was able to finish in about four years, taking a couple cl- one class at a time throughout the year. And then the dissertation was a two-year process. Uh, United, United Soccer Coaches helped me out tremendously where I put a survey together and they sent it out to their entire uh, organization. Mm-hmm. And I got about a thousand returns on this uh on on the survey what Um, was the survey about work conflict Mm -hmm. uh you know it was a five question survey uh that just simply asked you questions if you if you feel uh you know what levels you are at of work family conflict in uh in your life Mm um some of the more interesting findings uh college coaches and and youth full-time coaches had the highest conflict in their lives it didn't matter what if defines you, youth. Youth would be kind of like what I do, okay. full-time youth coach. Okay. Um, so that's what two and a half to eight years old, kind of, or is it three? Uh, to three to nineteen. Three like you okay, run a so soccer club, be, you run a baseball club, you you yeah. know you run like whatever. Yeah. So um, just not college or high school, just like youth coach, full-time youth coach was as conflicted in their life as so, the college oh, coach. Oh, I get it. So, cause I'm trying, okay, so it's a full-time youth coach. So you're not, you're not a high school coach who's a teacher. Right. You're a full-time youth coach at right. a club or an academy or something like that. Interestingly enough, part-time youth coaches had the lowest level of conflict. Okay. And the way I, I, I saw that was it's because it's their hobby. Hmm. And it's, you know, you're, the, you're at, at a field two days a week and coaching on the weekend. And you're doing a hobby, so you don't feel conflicted at all. Yeah, you're probably still getting paid for it, but you're not like it's not like your your life. So you said so youth coach, full time youth coaches, college coaches have the most conflict. The, the most conflict. What defines feeling conflicted? Uh, it was things like a lot of it comes down to time management and not being able to ever turn off your email, your text messaging, social media, um, and then and then the big conflict was. If your family or significant other wants to do something else while you're having to do your job, basically. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of it had to do with the hours of the job. It's non-traditional hours. 
you're working when everyone else is off. Mm -hmm. So it's hard. It's a hard understanding for um, you. Really have to communicate with your partner to a different level. Mm -hmm. uh, Did you talk about that in the dissertation? Kind of the solution to it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and my wife will tell you, like, since I picked up <laughs> the, this this tormented job, like, yeah. there, there's there, we've had some conflicts. Like, yeah. it's uh, a. Yeah. It's, it's been hard. Did you ever throw the dissertation in your face? Always, <laughs> always. Uh, so it's it's just hard to. Um, her points are extremely valid. And so how do you walk us through that if you're willing? Because I think that's really you know you you get this Tormenta job, which is a uh, they're in the what's the league that you got? Uh, USL, USL League One. So you're, you're a and, league, and we have a team in League Two. And right now, from three to nineteen, we have four hundred kids doing sweet feet, and forty other teams. Yeah, so that I oversee. <laughs> at some level, at some level on paper, and from my understanding, you know, bird's eye view, it's a dream job. Sure, right? You know, uh, you're an athletic director. Exactly, you're the director. You, for you, you, for you're working with a professional soccer team. You right. still, you got you you've grown sweet feet to be a part of this. You got sure. the youth side of things. Going back to what I said earlier, the European model is having the best coaches at the youth level, and, right. and you're getting to embody that in some capacity. Sure. And so, and and I'd love to be on the field four hours every night. Yeah training kids yeah you would love yeah but then i have a three-year-old a nine-year-old so take us to that so how so so when you got this position what was the conflict that that arose with, with the family i, I immediately told her there's gonna i, I kind of had sweet feet down uh pat like mm -hmm. I, I i that was pretty i i was eventually able to figure that out where Everything was done like during the day. And those were, I was going to say that at, at, at around five o'clock, I was yeah. done like yeah. every day. Would I go home and work after the kids went to bed? Yes, I'm probably like a work junkie. Mm -hmm. Like I'm trying to get things right and make it uh, the right experience. And then just like recruiting, you can stay up and send emails and make phone calls all night with mm -hmm. recruiting. It never ends. That mm -hmm. was that was one of the college coaches' issues. Mm -hmm. With Sweet Feet, I can keep calling people to try to get into their locations. Mm -hmm. It just never ends. If you don't you want to voicemails at night. Well, well, I yeah. mean, just a lot of emails. Yeah, emails. Yeah, like, that's 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 my that's my uh, right. schedule. I sure. guess right. Well, if, like if it's like a day of sales, yeah. I'm making calls during times that I've identified people pick up the phone. Sure. And sure. then, but still, email email is more responsive for us than phone calls. More and responsive for me too. Yeah. So that is, you know, my wife loves to watch tv it's it's how she kind of uh re unwinds at the end of the day sure and and i will sit there pull up my laptop and do emails and uh at first that wasn't she didn't love that sure and, and it's not i do on, i do the same thing yeah it's not on her because i think you know she saw that as this is our time to be together and connect sure. especially with my travel it would be maybe the only day of the week that we're in sure. person together and so i've found the balance in terms of uh watching you know, something here and there with her, but then also explaining, hey, I, you know. If in, I don't do order, it now, it's not yeah, going to exactly. get done. In order for us to, to go to the gym together, in order for sure. us to do something else together. And when we have kids, forget it. In order for us, right. for me to be a present father, this is going to, that, that email time is going to be 9 to 11 o'clock at night. Right, And, and I found that's the quietest time in my house yeah. where I can just focus on that. Everyone's in bed. Mm -hmm. uh, and Courtney, my wife, she... Uh, actually runs a Rodan and Fields uh, business, mm -hmm. which is all, uh, you know, mar a marketing 
uh, skincare. Okay. And selling I've to, seen to other like, exactly families was. and things yeah. like that. She does really well. So she yeah. does really well. That's yeah. her full time job. She was a teacher prior to that. Wow. Yeah. Now she teaches people how to use, you know, proper skincare and mm. take care of themselves. Uh, so a lot of times we'll have, uh, you know, when we were first starting, we, you know, we met each other in 2013, 14 timeframe, and mm-hmm. we both have our laptops out, like doing our thing, like just reaching out because both of those jobs, that's what they require. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's been the, the, uh, my wife would hate that I say this, but the blessing of her being in grad school right now, she's getting her master's in counseling. Sure. And so, yeah, when she does homework, I do work. Sure, and, sure, sure. And that'll, that'll end. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and actually in May. Um, but, uh, but yeah, if you can find that time, that works yeah. too. So, but, so then that shifted though, because now your Tormenta, is that have you doing evening? Are you, are you on the field? Or are you so so I, I ran the, we were doing, we never had a recreation program before. It was always sweet feed into our, some of our academy teams. Mm-hmm. And there was kind of a miss there because there's an entry level for parents that don't want to, they're, they're fine with like one session a week, a game on a Saturday in this, in the town. So we, we ran a rec, I, I oversaw the recreation program this past fall. And then I filled in, you know, there's no, there's no sick leave in youth sports. I haven't been able to figure that one out. Yeah. So yeah. whenever someone's sick, someone's got to fill in, and you can't. You just don't have a substitute teacher list, like schools have. So I became that guy mm-hmm. as well, doing that. So I was. I also was the social media guy. Mm-hmm. So I was going around taking pictures, taking videos, trying to grow our program on that level. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot more time away. Yeah. Um, and so what is your advice if someone you know? Obviously, college coaches listening will want to hear. I think club and youth coaches listening will want to hear, but also um, people outside of athletics who. Right. So everybody, balance you know, everybody has a conflict. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah. you know, and it became it, my, my initial study was work family balance, but it became work life balance. Uh, and he, he, here's another, you know, interesting piece is people that were married and had boyfriends and girlfriends they had the same amount of work-life conflict as people that didn't have significant others. Mm. And I thought that was a pretty powerful statement as far as, like, we're not very good at managing our time Mm -hmm. uh, and getting stuff done when we have time set aside to do that. Yeah. Uh, And then... That's good to know for everybody out there blaming their their relationship for their conflict. Right. (laughs) But both of those were, like, high levels of, you know, conflict. Yeah. Whether you had a had a significant other or didn't, it didn't matter. Yeah. Like, and I was like, wow, that's just so. Maybe just by coaching, mm-hmm. that, that adds that adds the piece of conflict. Yeah. Uh, Is there a remedy to it? It's communi- I mean, you mentioned effective communication. Effective that- communication, yeah. you know. And so, my wife and I, it's not perfect by any means. We have a long way to go, in you know, trying to create this. You know, and I think there's always going to be like a conflict, mm-hmm. you know, where I'm gone for four days. And, and this spring we've had some coaches move on, so I've kind of taken those teams and, mm-hmm. fa- and have another coach doing the recreation. So now I'm, well, right now I'm working with the U-17s and the U-19s. Mm-hmm. And Georgia there and South Carolina, they're in their high school season in the spring, so there's less of a commitment than what there was in the fall. But there still be, you know, USL Academy. USL has just put together an academy program. So we're down in Tampa over President's Day for four days. So the kids are also off school for those days. Mm-hmm. So Courtney puts her 
is putting her business on the side a little bit this past year to help me do what to grow what what I'm doing and she values the time with the kids she also values the exercise greatly mm-hmm. those two things come before her business mm-hmm. so it's an understanding significant other is vital if you're going to make coaching work yeah the one thing that we do that helps out a lot is everything's on our uh, Apple calendar or our I calendar so I can see exactly what's going on the entire day mm-hmm. every day with us and the kids and she also writes a dry erase board for the week on our refrigerator that puts us all on the same page. Like, mm-hmm. she is amazing in trying to make this thing work yeah. uh, between us and, our, and the kids and her and me and her. Like, it's uh, really amazing. <laughs> yeah, and I, I can't, you know, my own experience speaks today over communication and effective communication side of things when I first started traveling heavily so I was I was probably doing this I did this work for three years while having a full-time job and was sure. doing this as a side hustle well wow. quit that job in 2014 to do this right. full-time and did I'd say 25 events that first year went from I was doing 10 consistently as a side hustle right and just felt like unless I quit my job I'm never really gonna be able to grow sure. from 10 it just seemed to be the cap for me right and when I quit there is there's more time to be marketing and get yourself out there, there's also a sense of urgency. Right. You got to put food on the table. So being able to say no. Pay the rent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, uh, so I went to 25, and then um, I think 35, and then uh, partnered up with the guy I work with now, Ryan Pineau. Sure. And my first year working with him went to 50, just by wow. sake of having my clients, his clients, and then also traveling with him sure. to learn from him and train from him. And my solution to the conflict that that was causing and was going to cause was to ignore it. Sure, and, sure. And, and that's what guys do. We go yeah, in caves. Exactly. And we don't come out. And right? so it didn't, it didn't <laughs> help. And, and the right solution after conflict became, right. became over communication and sure. talking and finding, finding small solutions. So like you said, you're going to be away for president's day weekend. Well, what's the other side of that? What's the solution right. for that? A book that maybe I've referenced on this podcast before, but we, my wife and I uh, read, well, she'll laugh and say I read it, but I, <laughs> I shared with her my findings right. um, was the five love languages. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, my wife brings that one up at, you know, okay. a weekly basis. Yeah. I, I have read it that's one of our conflicts, you know, it's, uh, the, the way that I show love to her is by the things that work well for me. Yeah. And I'm still working very hard on, she might not say very hard or, you know, whatever, whatever the level is, I'm trying to do better at showing love to her and what she values the most mm-hmm. in her love language. I make this. I tell this story in my some of my workshops and keynotes that I'm doing now about culture right. and connection. And so maybe I've told it on the podcast before. But again, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and at some level, the host repeats stories. So sure. forgive me <laughs> if I'm starting to do that. But um, when I first read that book and we took the test, uh, and, and if you haven't read it, you take this test to say how do you feel loved and appreciated. So that's why I bring it up with teams sure. because it's not always just romantic relationships. It's relationships Absolutely. in general. How can you create the positive relationship with people? Yes, exactly. Right. And so uh, what I learned was my wife's her primary love language at that time and still is because we recently just took it a couple of weeks ago again sure. is um, acts of service. And as a my wife as well. <laughs> okay. So as a as a as a I would say overly simplified yet powerful example, uh, at the time, the argument was 
I would, she was taking care of the house and I had nothing to do with it. Right. And sure. I would, and, and my, so like, you know, she'd say, I cleaned the house, I cleaned the toilets, I took out the trash, I did the dishes. Right. And, and I gen, my genuine response was, cause this was during the fall when I was really, really busy. I sure. mean, I'm talking the, from August to November of that particular year, I remember it. Uh, I was home for uh, one weekend and it was Thanksgiving. Oh, wow. And, and during the week I was traveling to the point where I'd come home for a day and then go back on the road for sure. four or five days. Sure. So my response was, well, I'm not here, so it's not my mess. Like right, it's not like right. you know, and that wasn't a good response. No. And I get why it wasn't a good response, yeah, but yeah. I was I was trying to work through this, and and uh, what so we do this test, and I learned that uh, uh, love language for her is acts of service, and for me it's not. It's way at the bottom. Sure. And so what I when we did that, and I said, well, what's what's an act of service that would that you would appreciate? And she looked at me like I was an idiot. And it's like <laughs> everything I've been talking about, right. the dishes, taking the trash out, making, she loves making the bed in the morning. Sure. I am not, I know I'm a leadership speaker. I don't make the bed. <laughs> I look at it as you're going to get back in it at sure, night anyways. Sure. So more I, efficient, right? Exactly. Efficiency. <laughs> and uh, so I laugh now and I tell the joke in my workshops, if I'm working from home, my wife will get home at like six o'clock in right. the evening. I'll make the bed at like 5.55. Oh, <laughs> because that's when, you know, she's going to be that's home. That's great. So I started making the bed, started taking the trash out started doing the dishes uh this morning even i'm running out the door to get to this convention and all our like pots and pans are drying on the counter from her dinner because i I was here last night i didn't eat dinner sure but i put it all away it took maybe two minutes and i still don't want to do it but i do it because it is amazing how much just it's a sounds like an overly simplified example and i it, it becomes a joke in my keynotes because obviously i sound like the the traditional a father, dad, sure. husband, yeah. who who doesn't help out around the house. Right, and that's right. not it. Right. It, it's it's the reality that that is to her a huge deal. Sure. And and her appreciation and our relationship has shifted so much because of that. Right. For me, my primary love language is physical touch. Right. So during our time of, of conflict, it was our first year of marriage. Sure. Um, She'd, I'd come home from the road and I'd give her a big hug. Right. And I always felt she pulled away too soon. Sure, and sure. And that would become some sort of fight. Of course. Of like, yeah. oh, you're pulling away. Right, and, right, right. And, and, and the book really opened my eyes to couples will fight over that kind of thing. Sure. I'm reading into this because my love language is physical touch. A little bit longer of a hug will go a long way. Sure. For her, it's like... Okay, we hugged. Get over it. Right, and, right, and, right. And how about you help out a little bit? Sure, sure. <laughs> it sounds like our houses are very similar here. Cause yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm the same way. Yeah. And, you know, the way I look at it is, it's you're either getting one percent worse or one percent better on the day, and mm-hmm. you better figure out how to have more better days than, yeah. than not so good days. Yeah. Uh, to to really, you know, keep that not only real, you know, at your house your family, your wife relationship, but also your relationship with, we have 12 other full-time coaches like at Tormenta now. So it's trying to know them on an intimate basis and what makes them tick. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some guys it's coaching the best team. Mm-hmm. Some it's how much money they make and somehow how, some it's uh, how much time they have off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's... Well, isn't that uh, amazing too? You know, again, you would assume that, let's say you make the assumption that what's going to please this coach is more money but sure. they don't care. What if you assume that what's going to please this coach is more teams? And they're like, right. no, I just want the one right, elite right, right. team. Yeah. Or you give somebody an elite team, and they're thinking, I don't want the elite team. <laughs> right. I want that. So how do you know your coaches that well to be able to it's, to You know, them? it's just uh, I have five coaches here with me, and I'm, I'm every time I'm with, peop- with them, I'm trying to learn more and more about them. And 
uh, you know, I've heard a lot of people where they, you know, once every few months you take take a different employee out to lunch and breakfast and just try to chat with them as much as you can in detail about how it's how you can effectively work with them and then over time this relationship continues to develop uh i think this this whole category of the love languages and everything it's something that previous generations didn't really think about because mm-hmm. then you also have to think about that with your players whereas the you know the old model the old that you always think about is the coach as a as the dictator just screaming at the football players of, of what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is how it's done, and there's no, it's not a democracy, right? Mm-hmm. And then just how that's flipped as well with now how, how we coach players mm-hmm. and how the you have to be on thinking about what motivates them in order to bring out their best. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's funny how it goes into everything we do. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you, going back to your, co- do you have, lunches and weekly are you intentional about we have we have monthly meetings and then i also have we have a monthly meeting with all of the directors so there's all 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 the full-time so there's 12 full-times okay i also have about 12 to 15 part-time coaches and and my hope is because i I probably don't verbalize it enough is that these the part-time coaches have the best connection with the directors that they go back and do something similar with them I, I don't have the connection with the part-time coaches that I wish I had mm-hmm. simply because they have other nine-to-five jobs and we meet during the day because we have to because we train at night. Mm-hmm. Um, so with, with the full-time guys and girls, it's, you know, th- there's a huge amount of value when they see me at their session and they're running a session and, you know, they're like, hey, Brad, what would you think of that? Or what would you think of this? Mm-hmm. And we communicated about that. And I, I learn more and more about them, but then that goes into the work-life conflict for me, that, that, that I can't yeah. get around to all their sessions. Because yeah. not only have I worked like a nine-to-five, or like, you know, you, you work, I, I, this whole January has been taken up with like meetings of trying to affi- get some other clubs around us to affiliate, and who, who can I set up summer camps with, and how can we just keep growing the Tormented name throughout our area in, in a positive manner. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do that all day, and then it's really hard for me to get out to the training sessions at night. Mm-hmm. But it adds extreme value to them when they see me there. Not only does it add extreme value to them, but we have to sell to two people at a youth soccer club, the parent and the kid. Mm-hmm. Um, the parents see me out there as well, and they're like, wow, the director really is, is caring about what this lesson's looking like. Mm-hmm. So it's... It's complicated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it matters. I know uh, a mentor of mine who's been on this podcast as well is a guy named Harry Swain. Right, he's the was the director of player development for the Ravens. Sure, and he said on this kind of same question of how do you ensure you connect with your other coaches as well as players, and one of his answers was walking the floor. Sure, and, sure, and that's simply it: is meal times, uh, you know, evening times, just being present, walking the floor. Right, and he talked about also the conflict i don't know if he did this on the podcast or i think this was a separate cup of coffee he and i had but the because i was asking him about work-life balance right and and the conflict that causes when you do want to head out the door at five o'clock right people that's when people are just kind of hanging out and that's an important time to be with those for him professional athletes of getting to know them well it's how you create the relationship well they'll do more for you Mm -hmm. and you know once people know that you care about them my belief is that 
it shows their work is even better than what it was. Mm -hmm. um, and they'll do more for you. Um, they'll support you in your times of you know, crisis and conflict and those types of things. And when you can't find a coach to coach a game on Saturday, they'll drive two hours to go coach it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you, and you need people like that in your organization. Yeah. Uh, or things fall apart. Yeah, like, yeah, if it's just a job for them, they're not going to want to take on, especially when you got 12 part-timers, they're not going to want to take on that extra stuff. Right, right. So. How much does that, so we talked about retention of players, how much do you think the relationship piece, so with the relationship with the parents and players, plays into their retention? So there's also, there's the development, but then, you know, I've talked to a number of club directors, primarily in lacrosse, um, but maybe it's the same in soccer, who sure. will say, you know, all different directors will cite the same number. Their top 10% players, they lose every year because they're being taken to some elite program or some, sure. some better team is saying, or give you more playing time, you'll be our star, whatever. Right, right, right. And so they lose those players. And so because of that, um, you know, relationship building is almost being pitched, not in a bad way, any way you pitch it, I think is great, but being pitched as a retention piece, saying build your business on relationships because that's what's going to keep those individuals. Do you find that with Sweetfeed and with now what you're doing with Tormenta that you just you have relationships with these individuals? Yeah, and it's however much access you want to grant these people mm -hmm. that, that are your clients, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, what happens in the soccer world? Will any age group, U8 to U19, will make a, especially in Savannah, it's a smaller city, and Hilton Head and Statesboro, when we kind of combine, we'll put, uh, you know, we might have two teams in an age group, and we'll put their child on a second team. That's when the other club clubs in the area come calling and say, hey, you can play on my top team, mm. uh, is what we've seen. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. And, you know, it's like um, if the trust is developed at, at young ages, like in Sweet Feet and our rec program, a lot of times the parent won't leave because they know they're getting a really good product mm -hmm. in, in, in training. And at the end of the day, who's going to remember what team you played on when you were nine to begin with mm -hmm. or even 15? Mm -hmm. People remember you for your personality, effort, all the, all the values you bring to, to what you're doing. And, you know, it's um, – but if you don't build on relationships, like the, the soccer is the easy part. But you have to have that trusting and you know value-driven relationship before you can do any of the other stuff. Mm -hmm. Like that's uh, you know this past uh, spring leading leading up to tryouts, I went to each city that we're located in and had like an open forum where anybody could ask me questions, any parents that came, uh, and then I kind of told them about what our program was. But in, in immediately it started developing trust. Uh, that 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 in our transition from. Uh, into like this Tormenta Youth Academy model, the trust was built in those types of sessions right there. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, just consistently seeing their child get better, seeing their child have fun, even at the older ages, seeing kids that are 17 and 19 be recruited to play at high level in college, seeing kids that go on and play in USL with our USL Academy contracts. Uh, and then you know, just them passing the word on, they get it, maybe have a kid come into the organization and then, then them seeing, having fun and getting better at soccer, getting better at being a better person. Mm -hmm. That there's an incredible value for the, that. That's the relationship piece. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And then it's funny, like some parents don't want anything 
they just, they're just happy showing up at practice, showing up at games, saying hi and bye, mm -hmm. where other parents are texting you an hour after the game, everything that went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, whoa. Do you respond to that? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it, so, some of our coaches, you know, we have a, a pretty hard 24-hour rule in place that there's not supposed to be any parent-coach parent, parent contact for 24 hours after a game. Mm. What, what happens a lot is they'll come to me first since I oversee the whole thing, and I'll then set up a meeting with the coach first for, the, for them, but mm. I'll sometimes have to talk them off the ledge. And Why 24 like hours? That. What's that accomplish? Uh, well, our 24-hour rule is in place so that the parent can kind of calm down. A lot of times what it is, it's playing time. Mm -hmm. So, for example, Charlotte's a four-hour drive. We'll go up and play a game on Saturday and Sunday. Some kids will play the entire 90 minutes, 180 minutes. Their child might play 75 minutes, 60 minutes, 50 minutes. There's no guarantee of playing time at our older ages. And it's, they still pay the same amount of money in gas, the same amount of money in hotel. Fresh, maybe this has happened. This is the fifth time this has happened this year. Frustration levels are flying off the charts. Mm -hmm. uh, the coach has told their son and them that these are the 10 things you need to work on, but maybe they, have, you know, maybe they don't have a growth mindset that this is eventually going to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot, of, a lot of the stuff has to do with playing time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, that, that, that we deal with in, yeah. in a club that is where you have to pay to play. Mm -hmm. um, now, one neat thing we were able to do at that club, all our, our top team of U13 boys, U14 boys, and U13 girls is fully funded. So we were able to have corporate donors of $100,000, and those kids don't pay for registration, uniforms, um, anything besides their parent uh, driving them to the game. Travel traveling so we, yeah. we weren't able to figure out that part yet which would require like getting buses and paying for hotels and the money ran out uh, but it, it was a huge start into making it equal for anybody that wants to play mm -hmm. as opposed to the dad that can just write the check and get their kid on the team like, where did that come about was that the owner was that Tormenta's owner that wanted to create that or was that uh, it was, it was a goal of mine to, like my goal is like I find it would take about a million dollars in sponsorship and then that w every kid would play for free in our organization the way it is right now. And we were able to come up with, put together $100,000 for the season to get those three teams playing for free and uh, just evening the playing field for everybody yeah. and making it uh, not something where it's whoever has the most money can get their kid in the group. How would you um, then uh, pick your teams? Just a straight tryout? Oh, it was amazing. I mean, yeah, that's what we do from, yeah. from third at our academy and our select ages it's for for each one of those age groups well for, for our u13 boys we had about 60 kids at tryouts mm -hmm. which was about 40 more generally we have about 20 kids keep 18 mm -hmm. this was like 60 wow. now we made a second team in hilton head a second team in savannah a second team like combination in statesboro and, and another city and our top team so in that age group, we have three or four teams. Mm -hmm. Now the second teams, they pay. The top team is the team that doesn't have to pay for anything. Wow. Uh, so if you make that top team, you don't pay for anything because it's fully sponsored. Fully by, funded, right. By, by just corporate A couple donors. different corporate, co corporate donors. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. We did a, our U13 girls had about 30 kids at the tryout. U, U14 boys had about 30 to 35. 
the only place I could find that ever that does this is MLS developmental academies and they do it for their U13s, 15s, 17s and 19s. They don't pay anything. They don't pay pay anything, but they have 80, you know, they have 30,000 people coming into their stadium. Right. So it's MLS is funding. MLS is funding that whole corporate donor. So (laughs) we're like USL, like we have 3000 coming to our games. And, uh, so we, 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 we found some working with some corporate donors and they, this is the way they wanted their money to, to, to be used. Uh, you know, so it was, it covered everything for the kids and made, made it a, an opportunity where mom doesn't feel stressed to pay our $1,600 registration fee and another, yeah. probably another 1600 in like league fees, tournament fees, payment for coaches when they're going to coach games. Uh, That's tremendous. I $400 think, yeah. for a uniform. So it worked out to be about $3,000 for every kid. And we had, we, we did for it for the year. 54 for kids. Of, yeah. yeah. So yeah, 54 that, kids got to play for free. And I didn't even know the MLS had that you could play for some of those academies for free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that is definitely um, – I had a, a guy on here who runs a, a club team, lacrosse team in Delaware, yeah. mm-hmm. and we were kind of having this conversation of – and I talk with a lot of my friends about this conversation of I believe in professional coaches coaching kids. I think right. like it's – not that parents can't do it, but maybe the parent can be a certified – go through the sure, training sure. courses to become a great coach. You're coaching your son. Right, right. So it's not about – pulling parents out it's about teaching and educating and training those who are coaching our youth right and so that's kind of the conflict between the rising cost of youth sports and the improving how we're coaching kids because yes you've got these teams that cost two thousand three thousand dollars a year to be a part of right and hopefully those are teams where you're getting fantastic coaching and great development right but what's the answer to a family that cannot pay that amount of money for, for coaching right. for, for sports and that's I think it's I had no idea you guys had that yeah yeah so really this is awesome. the first year and I, ha- I haven't been outside of a there's a club in Seattle that Microsoft sponsors them mm-hmm. and all their recreations free wow um, I couldn't find any other club that kind of does this now in our area there was a lot of people that they weren't 100% sure it was actually going to happen because mm-hmm. you know you hear things right and that's a lot of money, and is that really going to happen? It's hard to money. It's it's one so, thing. It's one thing to say, you know, any from art from a business perspective. Anytime we talk to anybody that wants to be a speaker, trainer, do the work we do, right? We always say to them before you quit your job, <laughs> I want you to reach out to every friend or or colleague or anyone that's ever said to you, oh, I would totally bring you in. I want you sure. to reach out to them right now and say, hey. I know sure. you said you'd bring me in. Let's make it happen. <laughs> right, 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 and, and right. And see how many of them actually do it. Not saying that people are, are lying or not true to their word. Or right, whatever. right, right. Parting with your money is a big thing. Correct. And whether it's a donation or whether it's a, a, an investment or buying. So that there's always, it's one thing to say, oh, we're going to get sponsorships for this team. Why wouldn't someone want to support that? Sure. It's entirely different to go, go out and do it. Now, yeah. the relationship with these parents is pretty amazing because they're mm-hmm. very thankful e- even the ones that could afford it are mm-hmm. they're having a, a great experience there's kids from the area that are trying to get on these teams already for the for the next season do you ever notice like does anyone is there uh do you ever have kids just quit because there's no financial investment uh, from there yeah or do we, you we have we, some sort we, of we, contract we, with them well we have uh we we also did about fifty thousand dollars in scholarships for kids that are that can't afford to play mm. so it's that's throughout the entire organization so that doesn't matter what level you that doesn't make, matter what level you're at so like if, yeah. if you can 
you know, it costs $1,600, you can pay $800, you're getting an $800 scholarship. Mm -hmm. It's a very complicated process right now where we even, we go through like their tax forms. Mm -hmm. We have sit down interviews with them. And then they kind of tell us, we go back and forth on what they can actually do. Um, It's different for every family, but it's something that is vital if we're going to have an organization that has the best kids playing soccer in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, giving these kids opportunities at young ages that they would have never had to begin with. Yeah. Um, it's been really good for the for the, thir- the 13 girls, 13 boys and 14 boys, and they've seen success. And, you know, I mean, like I said, my goal is to try to do it on the entire club. I don't know what year that'll ever happen, but I hope within the next 10 years to have enough funding and sponsorship that we can like eliminate any pay to play yeah um as a, as a personal goal of mine that's awesome i think on the first interview i didn't ask this question <laughs> but I've, I've i've started asking this on every podcast because the name of the podcast is the 50 cup 50 cups of coffee it's sure. based on my tedx talk yeah and um so I, i've been asking do you have a 50 cups of coffee story which is basically because of a connection uh, it led, to, and it could be. Re- we've been talking about sweet feet for a while, so sure. it could be related to that. It could be anything. It could be when you were younger. It could be sports. Um, uh, it could be what you're doing now with Tormenta, uh, and it could be more than one. But do you have a story of by connecting with people, by meeting with people? You said it's it's who you know. You made that comment earlier. So what is what is a story you can share that uh, it exemplifies that of meeting people that led you into something that maybe you never thought you were going to do, or or towards where you're going. Uh, to be honest, I never thought I'd get this opportunity at Tormenta to be mm-hmm. the director of, uh, the, you know, the youth operations, the academy yeah. operations. Uh, and, and it was kind of all the people you meet along the way that, as an unspecific story here, the, the, the parents you meet and like the person, Darren Van Tassel, that owns Tormenta, I coached his, his son when he was 12. And he would come to sessions from about 12 to 14, and then I would another coach kind of took over that group uh, but an immediate connection was made between me and him mm-hmm. <laughs> and then now we're talking his son's a sophomore in college so that's eight years ago and, and then just staying in contact with him led to this opportunity where I get to have a little bit of influence with families and how have you stayed in contact with him since like, that it was eight years uh, um, ago well he, he his story is amazing so he was a professor at Georgia Southern, played baseball at Georgia Southern, professor of uh, international business. In the 96 Olympics in Atlanta, he coached uh, one of the international teams that played in it. And then in 2000 and 2004, he ran the tournaments uh, at the Olympics for baseball. Um, And and, and, in talking to him and then in writing my educatedcoaches.com blog, he, he was enthralled that somebody was putting information into, like, a, you know, how youth sports should be run. Uh, he immediately liked what we were doing because we were an organized group at sessions where if you looked straight down from our 8-year-olds to our 18-year-olds, a lot of the times they're doing something that looks kind of similar, but it's just advanced per, like, what your level is. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that, that he, he was immediately drawn into that, being a sport guy and a youth baseball guy and a baseball coach forever and then doing the Olympic piece. And uh, I, I've, over the years, you know, as much as I can, I've just stayed connected with what he does. 
always asking him, him, is there anybody in Statesboro where we could go and do Sweet Feet? You know, it's about a 45-minute ride from Savannah to Statesboro. So, you know, and, and how can I help him out and what can we do? And they've had a League Two team for, I think it's going on for the fourth year now, which is a, a, a summer team for college-age kids. And the League One team just started this past year. And he was able to connect the academy to the League One and the League Two team. So now our players actually have a lot of times in youth soccer at 19 it would kind of end. <laughs> you go play in college and then there's nothing else after that. Mm -hmm. So now our players have something to look forward to as they're on their development process. Yeah. So how do people find, you know, if someone's listening to this and they want to help you out, how oh, do people yeah. find uh, you, your work, your club? So, you know, you would go to, like, TormentaFC.com. Okay. We also have an Instagram page, uh, Tormenta F uh, underscore FC underscore Academy, and a Facebook page, Tormenta FC Academy. Okay. Um, you'll also find the pro team at TormentaFC.com, and then there's a, a little link off of it that has Academy. So okay. uh, you can learn all about kind of what we do and uh, all the way through the different age groups and the different you know, uh, challenges we're trying to overcome and all the different successes we have and yeah. that type of thing. And are you still, uh, is Educated Coaches blog, it still exists? Uh, are, are you so still? It's, so it's educatedcoaches.com. I, educated I haven't written in about a year, okay. but it's, there's about. Is Matt written? You could throw him under the bus too. Matt hasn't know. written either. We're both slackers. <laughs> um, but we have about 150 articles that we wrote from 2013 to 2018. Yeah, so there's enough content so, up there. Or if someone's so just hearing about it now, they can. There's a lot of content you can go busy. through, and then it's uh, just kind of finding. I was real passionate about that point, about that then, and kind of things have changed in the last year with being, you know, uh, working for Tormenta now mm -hmm. and just trying to find time to write yeah. uh, and write new messages, not just rehashing the same old. Yeah. things I had previously written. Sure, so. sure, sure. Um, well, it's good stuff. I love it, and uh, I'd encourage people to check it out, uh, even if you're not writing new stuff. I'm sure, glad, sure. I'm glad you're still paying to keep it up there. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Keep it alive. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, last thing I want to say, I appreciate you, number one, sitting down during the convention. Sure. Uh, because there's a lot of sessions you could be going to. There's a lot of people you could be talking to. So I can't appreciate this enough. I had been, like I said to you, my, my I, I, doing my best to keep an eye on my where I travel to see sure. who I want to connect with and I just drove uh, four hours out of my way to do an interview with a, a mentor in Louisiana awesome. and um, was was looking forward to doing the same with you down in Savannah yeah, and when yeah. I saw you here yesterday I just thought let's do this now so I'm, I was super yeah, grateful fantastic and, yeah and one thing I appreciate about what you said yesterday going back to this idea of connection is you said that's why you now come to these. Yes, right. there's tons and tons and tons of sessions, but uh, you're also here to just connect with maybe coaches that you've seen over the years sure. or meet new people. Yeah, and that yeah. has been I've been to a lot of different conferences and conventions. This se seems to stand out for me in terms of that. There's a lot sure. of coaches here that aren't going to sessions at all. And that doesn't mean the sessions are still filled. Oh, yeah, I absolutely. Mean, standing room only, and some, the room holds. 300 people it's like 270 there's still that many room. people there yeah. yeah and there's 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 still that there but then there's also i mean the entire time we've been sitting here in the background you can just hear people talking and talking right. and talking in the lobby down there and it seems like every coach i talk to has just set up conversations and sure. coffees and meetings yeah. the whole conference yeah and that's what i tell everybody my your first five years at the convention you're you're scribbling yellow notepads uh, of notes and ways you can do this drill that way or ways you can connect with your team a little bit better. And then 
eventually you grow into this phase where you're having things like this happen and I have an interview with a goalkeeper coach after this that's thinking about coming to, with us and after that I'm meeting with uh, a group that does tournaments and then I have a meeting with soccer.com and it's just kind of things evolve into you know this is uh, an amazing space and everyone's trying to do soccer a little bit better each day and the whole community's grown since you know I played mm -hmm. in the dark ages <laughs> uh, and, and now it's you know, the level of player that is created in America coming out of the youth system is so far more. I mean, I tell everybody that off of my college team, we have 12 year olds that are having way more technical and tactical knowledge than I, I ever had. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, I believe it. I was watching the coaching. football demonstration yeah. yesterday and they yeah. had what looked like probably fifth and sixth graders. And sure. They were phenomenal. Yeah, it's I amazing. Mean, I'm, I'm, I played soccer, but the last time I played soccer, I was in ninth grade I think sure uh, so but and that's probably the last time I watched youth soccer right and right. you'd be see, amazed to it's... see a to <laughs> see a little kid every single kid the ball never went too far from their feet sure you know and that they know where they know where to stand with yeah. the ball they know to know where to stand without the ball transitions are so much faster yeah technical ability is just I mean it's it's how we're going to create a Messi or Ronaldo here in the states mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. Maybe Christian Pulsick is that guy, right? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. So this is this has been it's been fun for me to be here. I'm glad we connected. Uh, thanks. I know you said the last podcast you did was about 15 minutes. Thanks for indulging me. Oh, and anytime. This, this long anytime. form yeah. form style, I love it. Sure. I think we got to some really good conversations about five love, love languages, for example. That sure, sure. I, we never would have got to in 15 minutes. Uh, so correct. I've I've really enjoyed doing long conversations and glad we carve out some time. So, and you are the first. You and Matt are the first. First siblings hey, to be on this podcast. Check that out. <laughs> and I imagine the That's only for awesome. a while. I don't know if I have another family connection that I'm looking to interview. So. That's going to make our mom super proud. That's so good. Can't wait. That's good. We'll send her both and she can she can just compare. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, Bobby. I awesome. appreciate it. Thanks for doing this, Brad. Yeah, man. Thank you for listening to the 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. If you haven't already, please go check out my TEDx talk by YouTubing the 50 Cups of Coffee Challenge. Please subscribe to the show wherever you are listening, and please leave a rating and a review. We appreciate it more than you know. Go ahead and connect with me on social media at Bobby Audley. This show is a production of the Pinot Training Group, and the theme music is by Matisse Soy. To learn more about how we serve teams and organizations, please check us out at PinotTrainingGroup.com.